Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories. I'm your host, Betsy Olam. Thank you for joining us today and listening. I am delighted to have as our guest in studio, Elizabeth Kaywine, an entrepreneur who has founded Signal Flow PR and Music Export Memphis. Elizabeth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Betsy. This is great. Yours is a fascinating resume, and I'm not exactly sure where to begin, but as they say in the sound of music, let's start at the beginning. So we'd like to know a little bit about you first, um, where you're from, and how you ended up in Memphis. Yeah, well, it's pretty easy to end up here when you're born here. So <laughs> that's, uh, I was born and raised um, here in Memphis and went away like so many of us do for college, um, went even farther away for grad school. I have a graduate degree from a place called Brunel University, which is in London. So I spent some time living in London, studying music, um, and then moved to New York, which is kind of what I always thought. I was going to do and where I always thought I was going to end up and it turns out I hated it and also it was 2008 so if we can all remember back to what was going on in the world in 2008 yeah I was super poor and just struggling to find work Um, the magazine industry which is what I was pursuing at the time was um, in a free fall just like so much else in uh, the economy hiring freezes all that jazz and so um, you find that being poor will help to illuminate that you hate a place really quickly and and so I decided that I wanted to be back in the South. Um, and so the, the best way to do that was to move home to Memphis. I didn't really think I would stay here. Um, but I found a city in 2009 when I moved back um, that was markedly different from the city that I had left. And the I think, you know, a lot of people talk about an energy that's here now. And I think it was really just starting and you could start to feel the reverberations of that um, 10 years ago. Uh, And there were people who were my age who loved the city and were sort of espousing that narrative, which was not something that I was familiar with growing up. And so that was exciting to see. Um, And it felt like I could plug into something that was going on here. Uh, And so I stayed um, and ended up getting a job with the Memphis Music Foundation's no longer around, but a really cool music nonprofit, and that was what really kind of, even though I'd been a musician almost my whole life um, and been very interested in uh, in music, obviously got a master's degree in music, that job was what really kind of catapulted me into the space I'm in now, and and kind of built the passion that I have for Memphis music. Oh, that's fascinating. I have a little bit of a similar experience. I lived away for about ten years did not ever expect to come home. I was moved back here by a cotton merchant, and then, you know, my personal life took off, got married and all that, and I was able to translate my export uh, experience into living here. But uh, uh, same thing, and I was 
I found, even though this was 1989, so quite a ways before you, a different generation, uh, Memphis had started a transition. I had lived in on the East Coast and the West Coast, and having come back from California, I was, I didn't have high expectations, and I was very pleased with the, the changes that I saw in Memphis as well. Yeah. So I can relate to what you're saying. So I just want to ask a little bit more about Brunel University because I'm not familiar with it. Is it a music school or? So it's really known for its engineering programs, actually. Oh. Um, and I think that the the music program was in a phase of growth when I was there and is, is growing even more now. Um, but yeah, it's kind of primarily known as a science and engineering school. If you look up this dude whose name is Isambard Kingdom Brunel, who the university was named after, he's, um, I'm, I'm no expert on him, so I won't even attempt to tell you his life story. But um, once you read more about him, it'll make sense. The, the university's kind of focused in that area, but um, I found it because I was actually applying for a fellowship um, to go study in the UK for a couple of years, and I didn't get the fellowship, but part of it was that you had to propose a course of study. And so I had done a lot of research on different programs, and what I loved about the music program at Brunel was that um, I was I am a musician, but it was really multidisciplined, and I wanted to get a master's degree in musicology, so I wanted to be writing about music rather than just performing and their degree program uh, covered all of those things so I had performance elements I had composition elements actually which really pushed me outside of the space of anything I'd done before in music Um, but then there was also a strong musicology element and I was able to do a written we call it a dissertation there here it's a a thesis for a master's but um, I was able to do a written dissertation so my degree is technically in musicology pop music musicology Um, so yeah so it was it was really by chance that I found the university and found this program um, through wanting to do this fellowship and ultimately you know I didn't get the fellowship and I just knew that that was still what I really wanted to do was go and study there Um, and I was lucky to come out of my undergrad without much student debt if if any actually Um, and so it was like why not I'll take on (laughs) I'll take on a few thousand dollars in student loan debt and go get a master's degree in England so wow it sounds wonderful I want to know a little bit more about your love of music and where it comes from now you just mentioned that you're a musician so maybe you can expand upon that a little bit yeah um i think that my love of music definitely comes from my dad um he you know my entire life growing up just introduced me to incredible music and um, so much of my music taste now is really informed by the things that he um, loved and we have a lot of the same favorites I mean you know was he a musician he was a singer um, not and it wasn't um, he wasn't doing any of that actively by the time I came along but I actually have an article from the Memphis Press Cemeter that is framed in my office um, that is quoting him talking about a battle of the bands that he organized back when he was I think it was when he was still a student at Whitehaven High School so um, and there's this picture of him with like Beatles hair you know the whole mop top he has very curly hair so he would straighten it um, (laughs) to look like a Beatles haircut but anyway it's a hilarious article because he says stuff like there won't be any rowdyism and you know it's it's a good time for all the girls and boys which is just really funny but he you know was making music and in bands and stuff when he was a young a young guy um and just always really really loved music and that was something I just don't ever remember a time in my life when music wasn't important to me um but I started 
playing the clarinet when I was in middle school. And so I did, I was a marching band nerd all the way through college um, and sang, was in choir in middle school as well and, and started picked that back up in grad school and have sung with with jazz bands and stuff like that so um and then have off and on you know tried to pick up other instruments i one of my favorite stories to tell is that uh elliot ives who is justin timberlake's guitar player in the tennessee kids um he gave me guitar lessons this was back in probably 2000 2010 or 2011 we come over to my house once a night you know one night a week Give me a guitar lesson. Um, I think I paid him like twenty five bucks an hour. I mean, it's crazy. I, That's pretty cool. <laughs> That's really pretty cool. cool. He's a he's a really sweet guy, and a great guitar teacher, and I love to tell that story, mostly because it's no indication of my guitar skill. <laughs> I mean, none. I'm I am not. Uh, I was not his star student, probably. But oh, um, that's but so I funny. have always enjoyed dabbling in in other instruments. Yeah. But um, I mean, really where I always saw myself was as a music critic. What I wanted to do from the time I was very young was write for Rolling Stone. That was my dream. Um, I started subscribing to the magazine from a very young age and like collected every edition. At some point, if you went in my bedroom as a teenager, you probably could have died underneath all the Rolling Stone issues, back you, issues that I had. You must have seen that film Almost Famous. Oh, absolutely. It's like one of my favorite films. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so I mean, I, I really wanted to be a music critic and I wanted to work for a music magazine. Um, um, and at some point, you know, things just kind of shifted. And it's it's a number of different elements and ingredients that made that happen. I mean, part of it was going to New York and trying to get a job in magazines. And I was writing about music. I, there was a, a website owned by a pretty notable music magazine called The Fader that I was writing for. But I was writing for free. I was basically oh, interning. Yeah. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. But... You know, it turns out you can't uh, you can't eat and like pay rent <laughs> on that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I I was still really passionate about it, but at some point it just became clear that that was going to be that I certainly couldn't stay in New York and keep trying to do that. Um, and I wasn't really sure if that was going to be the path going forward. Also, I had a <laughs> I had a moment to um, I was an I was an intern. This was while I was in college. I did an American Society of Magazine Editors internship. So I got to go and like work at a real magazine. I'm not sure if it's around anymore. So many magazines have folded, but it was called More. Um, And it was like for sort of 40 to 50 year old women, um, but like a sort of hipper, fresher lifestyle magazine than some of the others that existed for women in that age range, at least at that time. Um, And one of the gals who worked there was a former editorial assistant from Rolling Stone. She had worked at Rolling Stone. And so I was just like, oh, that's so amazing. But in, t- in talking to her, it became clear to me that maybe I didn't actually want to work at Rolling Stone. <laughs> so, which is, you know, it's like meeting it's your idols. It's good to know what you don't want to do. Right. Find out what you don't want to do. Absolutely. It's, it's just as important, if not more so, than figuring out what you do want to do. Um, yeah, and I, I did liken it to sort of the, the meeting your idols thing. Maybe it's best not to because you, you might be disappointed. Um, but but at some point it became clear that I could combine all the things that I loved, which were really music and writing, um, in different ways. And it didn't have to look this one way that I always thought it was going to look. Um, and now I have the opportunity. I teach adjunct at uh, the University of Memphis and at Rhodes College. Yeah, I saw that. I yeah. don't know how you have time to do that, but... Uh, I, I invent time. I'll tell you about it later. Um, so but one of the things I tell my students every year is you need to think less about a job title and a lot more about what it is that you want to fill your day with because um, I think that's probably always been true, but particularly now, I just think careers look different and you have to be open to 
understanding what it is that you love and how you can stack those blocks in a different way to still, you know, be really fulfilled in your career, even if it's not like for me, writing at Rolling Stone. That was that was not in the cards, but all the things I love to do, I still get to do. So Oh, that's great. That's great. I do relate to that. Um and I saw see you also taught at Stax Music Academy, which is a gym, a Memphis gym. If you don't mind telling our listeners just briefly what is Stax, because I have listeners all over. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we have the the Stax Museum and the Stax Music Academy sit on this amazing campus um, under the Soulsville Foundation heading. But um, the Stax Museum is on the site of the original Stax Recording Studios. Incredible museum. Um, And also just a a really cool example of a museum. So by its nature, something that is rooted in the past that still finds ways to have a very active and vibrant role in our contemporary music scene. I love the stuff they do through the museum. And then just across the campus is this Stax Music Academy, which um, I don't know if they say this anymore, but the way they used to phrase it was training the next generation of soul communicators, which I always loved. Um, And they're, you know, training up young people in some of the, I mean, most talented young people I have ever had the opportunity to be around in, of course, singing, playing instruments, composing music. They're doing a lot more now um, with like writing original music and equipping them with music business skills too. So they have after school programs and summer programs and it's just if you ever get the chance to see them perform. I have. It's They're awesome. amazing. Yeah. And, and like I said, I just think it's a gem here in Memphis and I hope more kids uh, find out about it and and uh, yeah. that are interested in music. So yeah, very cool. Um, so Let's talk about the organizations you founded, and I really want to focus on Music Export Memphis since we're talking about exporting. So first, tell us what it's about, Music Export Memphis. Yeah, absolutely. So we are an export office for Memphis music. It's the simplest way to put it. So everything that we do is focused on creating opportunities for artists who live here in Memphis to do what they do elsewhere. Um, And the idea is that when they do that, which they're already doing, they're already touring and and doing all these things. Um, But when we create opportunities for them to do that, they are driving positive result for our city in myriad ways. Um, They're driving tourism, but we also believe and know that they're driving talent attraction as well. Um, When you can can connect to a vibrant cultural scene in a city, it makes you want to live in a place. Um, And that's, you know, what attracts so much young talent to cities. It's not just a job, but it's everything else that you're going to do outside of that job. Um, So we create opportunities for artists. We do that through um, three core programs that we have ambassadors experiences and the export bank and I'll I can dive in on on all of those a little bit more but basically the inspiration for this for me really came from um you know I my background is in music PR and I started my PR agency um eight years ago and signal flow signal flow PR that's right and so through that I was traveling to conferences and festivals around the world well, around the country primarily, a little bit in the UK because they can't keep me away. Um, and But I was seeing that other cities were doing a great job of telling their contemporary music story, and I just felt like there was a missed opportunity for us. And I also really felt strongly that 
if we leveraged it in the right way, that it could drive interest for, I mean, honestly, the folks in the city who can invest in this type of thing. Um, the way that I kind of talked about it early on was, you know, at some point you have to kind of trick the business community into supporting arts and culture. But it's not really a trick if what we're doing is creating an ecosystem that, again, drives tourism and talent attraction, that brings actual dollars into our city and really makes a difference in our external brand. Um, and so I saw that true that Venn diagram where there was just true mutual benefit for our artists in our city. And I felt like that was something that we could capitalize on. At the same time, I was becoming exposed to international music export offices. You know, Canada has a music export office, the UK, France, Germany, most of the European countries have these. Um, and they're totally focused on creating opportunities for artists from that territory to go and do what they do in other countries. But there was nobody really thinking this way in the United States, and certainly no one was doing it at a city level. And I kind of loved the audacity of that to say, like, mm -hmm. Memphis is so important that we need our own export office for music. So We but, are important. Absolutely. It's absolutely. I fully believe that. So it just seemed like, with my entrepreneur hat on, it was a scalable concept. Um, and so I thought, okay, let me figure out how to scale it, and we'll make it happen here in Memphis. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. So, um, so tell us about the different programs. Yeah, absolutely. So the first program that we launched was our experiences program. And essentially, the best way to describe it is it's anything where we're going to another city and we're producing a Memphis music experience. That looks a lot of different ways. Um, it can mean that we're going to a festival that already exists, like South by Southwest or Americana Fest, which has become one of our most popular events. It takes place in Nashville in the fall. Um, so we're going to that festival under their existing infrastructure. We're hosting usually like an afternoon or an evening of Memphis music programming typically around five artists or bands, but then when we can, we're also thinking about how we can create a holistic Memphis experience. So can we bring Memphis food? Can we bring Memphis beer, Memphis spirits? Um, we, our Americana Fest event for years has been at a venue that had a small screening room, and so we partnered with Indie Memphis to screen Memphis music videos. So we're constantly just thinking, how can we be creative about all of the different ways that we bring Memphis to these events and and hopefully create an experience where somebody feels like Memphis just dropped down in the middle of this festival. Um, we're, we're moving more with our experiences into kind of a pop-up space as well. We did our first one this year in St. Louis um, where we're just going to that market and we're sort of planning the event and producing the event top to bottom often with a partner. For St. Louis our partner was Memphis Tourism uh, and so we booked four bands for that. We took over a corner of a downtown park and just kind of surprised people with this Memphis experience. We bought food trucks, we bought all kinds of like merchant giveaways from Memphis and cool stuff. So That's leaning great. more towards that kind of pop-up direction. Mm -hmm. And then also in that experiences category, we have produced songwriter exchanges, musician exchanges. So um, we produced one in 2017 with Liverpool where we had two Memphis artists and two Liverpool artists who had the opportunity to collaborate. And we have several others that are in the various stages of planning right now, and that kind of all falls under that experiences heading as well. When you say collaborate, they write music together? In that Liverpool exchange, they did, yes. Yeah. So the, wow. the, the, the uh, exchanges take shape a few different ways. The 
songwriting focus obviously truly is about them sitting down together and collaborating and writing new music. We're working on models right now that are more performance oriented where we'd still probably do two bands or artists from each city, but they would be then playing on almost like a mini festival bill together in each city. And kind of the, uh, the, the cool collaborative element would take place with them showing the other bands around their city. And so we really want to kind of give our artists the opportunity to show these artists from another country, Memphis, and then of course vice versa as well. So um, so we're working on some different models for that, that exchange piece. Um, but so then our ambassador program is tour support. It's really straightforward. If a Memphis artist is touring and they have five or more dates on the calendar, they are eligible to apply for cash support from us. We've been doing that since July of last year, so we just hit our one-year mark, and we have given out uh, more than $34,000 in artist grants. Wow. So we're super proud of that program, and yeah. continuing to just see the interest and demand for that really grow. Um, and then our export bank is, is our most nascent program, and that is something where we want to make sure that anybody that is out, going outside of Memphis and recruiting for the city or telling the Memphis story in some way, we want them to have music, live music with them as part of that. And so the Export Bank partners with organizations to provide logistical support, curation support, um, and some financial support as well to make it possible so that, you know, when the chamber, for example, might be going on, um, you know, a recruitment mission to even to Nashville, wherever they're going, we want them to be able to send an artist and we want them to be able to rely on us to make it easy. So we're going to help pick the right person or the right band. We're going to help with, say, 50% of the funding, you know, meet you halfway. Um, but we're also going to handle all of the logistics so that you don't have to think about it. And hopefully we get to a point where anyone that is telling that Memphis story knows that music is number one on the list. They're, that's not something that is a nice to have. It's something that is a must. Cool, cool. Um, what, if I can ask, what are some of the, the, the artists that you're working with? What are the different types of music that they're producing? Oh, gosh. I mean, our ambassador program is incredibly diverse. We have everything from Southern rock to punk to hip-hop to R&B to soul, neo-soul, pop, um, garage rock. I mean, I... I can't think of a country artist that we've had off the top of my head, but that is maybe the only genre what about that has gospel? not been represented. Yes, we've got gospel in there as well. Absolutely. In fact, just this month we funded a gospel artist. So um, yeah, it's, it is incredibly diverse because there are no genre restrictions on the ambassador grant. It's just about if you've got them, if you meet the minimum number of tour dates and um, you know, you meet our other requirements, which of course you have to live in the greater yeah. Memphis area, et cetera. Um, you're eligible for funding and so we're it that's a really cool program in that way you know when we go to a festival or if we do something like a songwriter exchange there are going to be some limitations in terms of genre diversity for any of those opportunities but when you're just funding artists who are touring there is no limitation and we're able to really um support a group of musicians that really looks and sounds like memphis that that is as diverse as this city's music scene really is Oh, that's great. Uh, I was just curious, uh, do any of the performers have or have dancers that go with them, or is there any kind of dance? I'm just curious. If that's a great question. You know, I don't know that we have up to this point, but um, we've actually partnered with um, 
our city's bicentennial celebration, which is happening this year, Memphis is 200. And there's going to be a really cool activation happening in Harlem as part of this. Harlem uh, has an annual thing that they do called Harlem Week. And this year, Harlem Week is going to recognize and honor Memphis for our 200th anniversary. Ooh. Yeah, it's really cool. And so we had the opportunity to select a few artists and facilitate an opportunity for them to go and perform um, in Harlem. And we are also helping to send some jukers up there. So oh, yes. yeah, so it's kind of funny that you ask. We haven't really ever seen that, but but now we've got we're we've got our bands going, but then there's some some jukers going as well. All right, I know a few of them. That's very Memphis. I yes. love it. Uh, well, you have a really interesting extracurricular list. It's huge. Uh, you've mentioned a few of them, but I have a few questions or just interest in some of the things you've heard. First of all, South by Southwest, one of my favorite i think it's a very cool festival so tell me a little bit about what you've done uh with south by yeah so the biggest thing is that music export memphis did produce a showcase there in 2017 um we did a day party we took five bands i believe uh and so we had gus's fried chicken there (laughs) you know we had um very spicy chicken for people who are listening yeah delicious delicious memphis fried chicken um we had the america photo trailer there um, which is a really cool kitschy thing that's here in memphis where you can go in and get your photo taken with all sorts of weird props um but a very memphis thing and so we you know again we did that sort of holistic memphis experience drop down in brush square park at south by in 2017 um in in almost every year other than that i have done some sort of speaking on a panel or moderating a panel for a couple of years I produced panels um, and then this most recent year I had the opportunity to speak on two panels one at the European Union house lots of these organizations kind of take over a venue or something and you know it was the EU house for the week Um, but they did a panel on export actually so I got to um, have a really cool conversation with some folks who work in export internationally um, about this about the space and all focused on music Um, so that was really neat and then I got to I was uh, moderated a panel later in the week on kind of the music cities movement and how we build up music in our cities and our music ecosystem so a lot of the time myself by uh, and I also um, I do mentoring so I sit down once during the week with a few young people and have the opportunity sort of like in a speed dating style have the opportunity to talk with them um so yeah, it's my involvement now has and over over the years mostly has taken on that kind of shape of speaking on panels and being involved in that way. But we did we did produce that one showcase. I will say South by is um, a big monstrous thing that I do love, but that was such an expensive undertaking for us. And at that time, um, we were not a five hundred one c three yet. I was you know really scrapping everything myself ended up putting a lot of the cost of that event on personal credit cards. I mean, it was rough. Um, we had an amazing event. We had more than 1,200 people come from more than 60 U.S. cities, 15 countries around the world. Oh, I mean, couldn't have been more successful, but it was. It took such a toll on me personally. Wow. And also was a really important moment for me in looking at what is the opportunity cost? The thing that I measure the most in the work that we do is opportunity created. Um, and so that was a moment for me to go, okay, so what's the opportunity cost? And if it cost us, you know, between five and $7,000 per band to make this happen, it's not an effective use of our funding, right. Who, wherever that funding is coming from. <laughs> it's coming from my wallet or, or a funder. Um, and so 
I think in a lot of ways that was an important growth moment. It was a great opportunity for those artists. It was a, made a splash for us. So all positives there. And it gave me a moment to sort of reflect and has really shifted the way that I think about everything that we do. You know, now we're looking for how can we, you know, we, we know that uh, it's going to cost money to produce some of these events, but how can we be really smart and really careful about making sure that we're balancing out just the cost can we and, and you know does that mean we add more artists to the lineup how can we find a way to spend x dollars and bring more artists into that fray right right well it's it sounds like you learned oh, from yes. that experience and you made great contact so uh but uh, i understand you're learning you know when you're starting i have a i have a i had a startup export consulting business which i still have and I learned a lot every uh, year, you know, in the beginning, what you are and what you're not going to end up being. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. But, uh, but it's a good evolution. It's a fun evolution. So, uh, so and now, you mentioned the Americana Music uh, Americana Fest, I guess it was in Nashville. What is the Memphis Picnic? Is that what you talked so, about? So yeah, so that was how we branded our event. Um, that was our what we branded the event in That's at South name. by Southwest and at Americana Fest. We've we've since um, last year we actually shifted to a happy hour time slot, and so we're now working with Old Dominic Distillery, which is mm-hmm. based here in Memphis, and um, they are our presenting sponsor for that Americana Fest event. And their kind of slogan is uh, "Share a sip of pure Memphis." And And so our event is now the Pure Memphis Happy Hour. Um, And so we did that last year to tremendous success. It was an awesome, um, people just got really excited about that happy hour time slot. They always love coming to see what Memphis has to offer, but we had a particularly great year. So we're continuing that this year. But but previously we had branded our kind of day party style event as the Memphis Picnic. And part of that was because there was another group at Americana Fest who was already doing something that they were calling a barbecue. Because obviously, it would make a lot of sense for us to call our event the Memphis Barbecue, but that that brand was kind of taken already. Um, And so we went with the Memphis Picnic, yeah. I like it. I like both of those names. And I see that you were a TEDx Memphis speaker is that part of the TED brand, or is it just something local that someone created, or both? Yes and yes. Yeah, it's both. Okay. So um, so TEDx events are any sort of local event that happens that uses that TED name and has the same TED format that features speakers um, sort of for those, you know, kind of 10-minute um, talks. And the TEDx Memphis event, uh, I know it was brought here by a student, a young person, um, I think maybe some as a young man from MUS. Um, I hope I don't get that wrong but um several years ago but I had the chance to speak at it in January of last year so 2018 and then the very cool thing that happened was that Ted big big Ted as I say we tell this story um reached out to me and uh asked if they could share my talk on the Ted platform and so now it's been a minute since I've looked but it's over a million views um on the Ted platform and the talk is all about how to build a music city. Um, so that was phenomenal. I, I kind of couldn't believe it when when Ted shared the talk. And it's led to so many, you know, of course, cool um, collaborations and new people that I've been able to connect with and meet because it's just gotten shared in such a different way. And so I've heard from folks from all over the world who are working with music in their own cities in different ways, and that's been really phenomenal. Oh, man, that's fantastic. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit more about exporting music, specifically Memphis and also generally. How, how do you grow this type of business? What, what do you see as the, you know, what are your some big ideas for the future and, yeah. and growing it? Um, I hope that we can really grow the international work that we're doing. So obviously we did this exchange with Liverpool and we regularly fund international tours. Um, there are, there's a really high number of artists based in Memphis who are touring Europe. You know, Europeans love Memphis music, so there's a serious appetite for it over there. Um, and then, you know, we have... And that goes way back. Really. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I mean, Stacks uh, artists used to travel to Europe, as I recall. Yes. I mean... To and, tremendous reception. And yes. in fact, didn't realize that they... Had no idea they were celebrities until they got there. Right. Um, which is amazing. I love that. Um, but yeah, so there's a tremendous reception for Memphis music in Europe. So we fund a lot of European tours... And we've been able to produce one, uh, you know, exchange of our own in Europe. But I'd like to do a lot more internationally, um, whether that's just, you know, funding more of our artists that are touring, but also owning more of our own exchanges um, and finding those great festivals that we can go and activate and take Memphis musicians to. Because um, if you can if you can find a way to offset the cost of the travel as a musician, which obviously our grants do, there's a lot of money to be made there, you know, because you do have folks who are still buying physical product. They're buying CDs or vinyl, they're buying merch, um, and they're paying cover to get into a show. You can make a guarantee, which is, you know, a sum of money that you're guaranteed to make and not a door deal is kind of the opposite of that in the, in the music industry space. So you know that you're gonna get paid. Um, and there's just, you know, there's such a marketplace for it that I wanna make sure that we're thinking about how we can increase opportunities for Memphis musicians internationally. And selfishly, I love it, because sometimes I get to tag along on these, you know, if we, if we do exchanges. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're working on one right now. It's very, very early stages, but uh, we're, we're ideating around something with Mexico City, um, which I'm excited about, because I would love the opportunity to go to Mexico City and, and, See. <laughs> and, and be a part of that experience. But yeah, I think um, thinking about the international side of things is a, is a big piece for us. And, and really just organizationally, we want to grow to the point where the grants that we provide can really make something like that possible. I mean, right now, the highest level grant you can receive from us for, for a single tour is $1,500. Um, it definitely makes a difference. It's not designed to pay for everything. It's designed to make a difference for that artist. But what I would love to see us be able to do is get up to $3,000 for a European tour. Um, that could cover, you know. A lot. A lot. could cover a lot. could cover an entire band's, um, you know, flights over to get mm -hmm. to Europe in the first place. And so to be able to provide an amount of money like that, it starts to make things possible for our artists here that weren't possible before. Um, you know, our, our kind of 30,000 foot view goal is that the work that we do could be a reason that someone could either choose to move here or certainly a reason that they choose to continue living here. We wanna be a reason why Memphis is a city of choice for musicians because they know that if they're based here, that there is support to get them out into the world, which they have to do to build their career. Um, one city's fan base can't sustain an artist's career. They need right. to be getting out into the world um, and getting out into places where people are interested in buying their music. Obviously, the, the music industry is an interesting space when it comes to export because distribution is happening globally all the time. So they have content that can reach these fans in all these right. different continents and different countries. But if they can't ever get there to tour in front of those people, I mean, maybe they look at their Spotify stats and realize that they have this great listenership 
in Japan. But if they never have the funding or the ability to get to Japan and play a tour and connect with those folks, it's really difficult to sort of take that to the next level and really yeah. build upon that foundation to build your career. And so my goal is that what we do makes that possible, that yeah. there is this sort of soft infrastructure around export already. And so if we can be the, the step and the ladder that helps them build on top of that foundation, that's critical. Well, um, from what I understand, not being in the music industry, just an outsider, it seems like the way it's evolving, it has become more difficult for artists to make money because people can download money, you know, music for pennies. So my understanding is that uh, performing is really where they make their their money. Is that Yes. Is, yes. Is that... I think it's a it's a layered and complex story, really. Yeah. Um, but definitely, you've got to tour in order to make a living. You've got to perform in order to make a living. I think that I um, don't I don't uh, at all downplay some of the things that are very broken about the music industry and the way that music creators, particularly um, writers, get paid for their work. Right? There are a lot of that's another podcast entirely. There's some okay. things that are very broken about it. Yeah. That being said, I also think every day about the ways that the tools that exist now make it possible for artists to reach fan bases that they simply never would have before. Yeah. Um, and if you can be smart about how you build again on that foundation, there is there are ways for artists to have middle class music careers that just did not exist 20 years ago right. or before. Okay. Um, and so I, I, it's it's the sunny optimist in me, but I tend to focus yeah. on on that side of things. That you know, there's all sorts of music. I can I could name 10 musicians off the top of my head who I have spent money on in one way or another, who I never would have um, in the sort of quote old model of things. But I spent money because I was able to go and listen to their music on Spotify. I pay for my Spotify membership, so it's not for free, but it feels free in the moment. I was able to go and directly access it and listen to it and give it a try. I was able to listen to their whole album. Right. And since then, I may have bought concert tickets to go see them. I've bought merch. You know, I've spent so much more money. I mean, there's a chance I would have spent zero so because it, I never would have discovered way, them. In a way, it's opened up a world for people uh, to at least, like you say, give people around the world a taste of their music and then there might be an opportunity to go there and absolutely and perform absolutely um, I mean and, and again there's some things that are broken you know artists should be paid more for their streams there's no doubt about that yeah. but I don't think that we're ever gonna turn the boat around we're not going no. back to a model where um, I'm, I'm having this uh, a stalemate with my husband right now about throwing out CDs because it's <laughs> like we don't need all these CDs we, we don't even have a way to listen to CDs in our house anymore we listen to Spotify or we listen to vinyl. Right. Um, so, you know, we're not going to go back to that old model. We yeah. are we are in an access model, not an ownership model now. Right. And I think that's what people are going to prioritize going forward. But, yeah, it's to me, there are plenty of opportunities that exist now that just would not have existed before. Yeah, it's it, we're just going to all have to learn how to uh, turn the 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 future into something that uh, that people can make a living off of exactly and, and uh so i'm all supportive of that so i come from you know i'm a i'm a film nerd like you're a music nerd and i have this big collection of dvds and now i find myself just dvring of course the, the same movie comes on that i love and i i don't 
I don't have time to watch my DVD. No. I have a huge library, huge. I don't even think our DVD player is hooked up to the television, and we have yeah. all these DVDs, and we just watch Netflix. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, or TCM and my the access case is too. more important. Yeah, yeah. So but it's very interesting. Elizabeth, people are going to want to know how to access more information about uh, Music Export Memphis. Can you give us a website and, and just tell Absolutely. people? Absolutely. To... Yeah, you can go to musicexportmemphis.org. Um, you can also find us on all social media. We're Music Export M-E-M on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you were really moved by the spirit, musicexportmemphis.org slash donate is how you can support our programs. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 